You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I actually want to lift up a uh, prayer to our brothers and sisters in Egypt. Um, and if you didn't know that there was a uh, there was a suicide bombing that occurred today, um, and uh, 25 during worship died, uh, were martyred, and so. Uh, I don't want. I want to actually quote uh, Pastor Javon Washington, a pastor in Seattle, and I think he says it uh, the best way. He said, "While worshiping Jesus today, many of our Christian brothers and sisters in Egypt were murdered by suicide bombers. Saints, let us pray for Egypt, this church, and families devastated today. Let this be a sobering reminder that following Jesus is not a game." Our murdered brothers and sisters are now home worshiping the slain lamb, whose example they followed and whose message they believed. The gospel of Jesus is a message that will never be stopped by any wicked, evil, or death. God will continue to build his church. You can't stop it. We are not without hope because our hope is alive. Let's bow our heads. Can we just take a moment? Um, and to lift up not just our brothers and sisters uh, of Egypt, but all around the world who are being currently persecuted, uh, who are suffering. Can we just lift them up and just pray that, that first of all, that church and the families that have lost their loved ones, that the Lord would comfort them. Um, but that also the, the faith of the saints there right now, as shaken as they are, will be strengthened all the more. So let's just pray and lift up our, our brothers and sisters across the pond in the other nations, in particular in Egypt here. Okay, let's take a moment now, close. Let's pray. You know, last week we heard about Abraham sending out his servant in search for a wife for his son Isaac. He had a few stipulations, right, if you recall. And um, that stip those stipulations would help narrow down the search. The remaining chapter is essentially God providentially guiding the servant to find Rebecca. Now, I decided to bypass the remaining chapter and instead speak on chapter 25 because the points that I would make on Rebecca, the way that God orchestrated their union um, with Isaac, her union with Isaac will be touched upon later on as we continue on in Genesis. And for that reason, I want to go straight to chapter 25. If everyone's okay with that, say amen. Now, the beginning portion of chapter 25 addresses the death of Abraham. He died at the ripe old age of 175. He was buried right next to his wife, Sarah. Today, I'll be speaking on the passage concerning the birth of Jacob and Esau. Now, you've heard that verse in Isaiah where God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, right? Shake your head. Yeah, you've heard that before. That's a really difficult truth to grasp in our Christian life because it requires a lot of faith to accept that. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. To just trust God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Do you trust God? Like, even if you have no idea what's going on in your life and in this world, can you say, 
Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. I trust you. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we don't have all that trust in him. It's, it's difficult. We've all felt that, haven't we? Well, that's what our text is talking about this afternoon. So my hope and prayer is simply that as you listen, that the word of God, the word of the Lord will give you peace in your current struggles. Amen? That the word of God, the spirit of God will increase your faith too. Amen? So I got a few points to make today. First is this. God's ways may confuse you. Sounds like a weird point to make, but it's a point. God's ways may confuse you. Now, there are so many things in this world that are happening. Just like I said, the explosion, the bombing, the suicide bomb that occurred in Egypt, and so many other things that are happening within our own personal lives and within our sphere. And it's confusing. Sometimes it's troubling, right? We're scratching our heads. Why are all these things happening? Why did he leave me? Why did she leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why are all these people around me suffering? How come my finances are dwindling? Why did that person die in my life? The answer to those questions isn't so much about having answers to those specific problems that we all face, but really what God is trying to say, he's, he's, trying, he's trying to give us an all-encompassing truth today, okay? An all-encompassing truth, and that is simply God is in control. He is in control no matter how confusing that might be sometimes. And no doubt, that was the experience of Isaac and Rebecca too. You see, God had gone to great lengths to guarantee that they would have a son. You guys know the story. I've been saying for the past, I don't know how many weeks, God had promised, right, to make Abraham, who was Isaac's father, a father of many nations. This obviously meant that there would be heirs. And as frustrating as it may have been for Abraham and Sarah, God, he took his time, didn't he? He took his time, and, but he certainly did give them a son later on when Abraham was about 100 years old. There was no question. Isaac was the child of promise. He was the child of promise. He is, after all, the one through whom all promises would be fulfilled. The promise that would lead up to the promise, as in the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So because Isaac was the child of promise, Abraham gave everything, everything, all the inheritance to Isaac. And he ignored his other sons. Everyone say, what other sons? Okay, very good. In verse 1 of this chapter, apparently after the death of Sarah, his wife, Abraham remarried, and he had, about, he had six more sons after that. But still, Isaac was their chosen heir, the one through whom all of God's blessings will come to the earth. It is through Isaac. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, it's through Isaac. And so when Isaac was 40 years old, okay, he was given a wife, a wife. And like any family man, especially during that time, he had every reason to expect, every reason to believe that he would have children. He knows the song. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. Maybe he didn't know that song, but at least he knew this, that his faith was hinging upon the promise that God had made with his father, Abraham, that there would be a multitude of heirs. That's what Isaac was believing. That's what he trusted in. But yet, even though he trusted in the promise that God gave his father, there's still no pregnancies, no child. Does that sound familiar? Right? Obviously. So they were married for five years, no child. They were married then for 10 years, still no child. They were married for 15 years, no child, waiting and waiting and waiting. Their patience was maybe waning, and their biological click was certainly ticking as well. Then 15 years became 19 years, 
Still no child. Now here's a message for you guys. You have all, in one way or another, trusted in God's promises. I know you have. You have all, in one way or another, waited patiently, and you're confident that what you're waiting for is a good thing. You're confident that what you're waiting for is a right thing. And you're waiting, and waiting, and waiting, but nothing has happened. So what is God telling you to to do today? He says this. He says, don't lose hope. Okay? Don't lose hope. God's ways are not our ways, so his timing will not be ours either. The way he's working in and through our lives, it will be confusing. It will be baffling. But I also believe that if his intricate plans were revealed to us, it will be even more confusing. Regardless, whatever it is that you're looking for or waiting for in your life, this is an encouragement for you guys. Don't let your heart grow cold to God. As you wait, don't let your heart grow cold to God. As you wait, don't let your heart grow cold to your community either, to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As you wait, don't let your heart grow cold and don't grow cynical just because someone else you know received their answer. Woof, you get that? Right? Have you guys ever felt that? A little jealous pang? They got it. They're somehow progressing in their spiritual walk. They're somehow advancing in their professional careers. They're somehow no longer redlining in their bank account. They're doing better for themselves. And I'm praying for the same exact thing. Look, your Christian life is not about them and God. It's about you and God. Okay? It's about you and God. So keep the faith. Keep your ears, your hearts, your minds in tune to the word of the Father because his words are truth and they will never fail. Let his words, as baffling and as confusing as it may be sometimes, let those words become a reality in your life by trusting in them, by confiding in them. So keep the faith and trust in him. Amen? Amen. Now, what happens if you get discouraged? That goes on to our second point. If you get discouraged, if you're troubled, then pray. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to pray. So, what do you do? When God doesn't do what you expect, even if you're quite certain it was his will. Now, we're all about having plan A, plan B, and plan C. We're all about having contingency plans, aren't we? Now, when it comes to not being able to have children, modern advancement medical technology has given more than one way to try to have children. Now, obviously, in Isaac's time, there's no such thing as in vitro fertilization or things like that. But Abraham and Sarah, they did something, they did something similar. They thought God needed their help. So Abraham impregnated Hagar. You guys remember that. Even back then, they had contingency plans. And look, not all backup plans are bad, okay? So don't, so here, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying after several months, and especially after seven year, several years of no pregnancy, that you can't or shouldn't do an IVF. But look at what Isaac did before he went to any possible other options in his life. Look at what he did here in verse 21. It reads, And Isaac prayed to the Lord. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she, is, she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Before freaking out, before doing anything else, before saying, what should I do? Before, shall I impregnate the slave girl? Before anything else, it was, let's take a beat and pray. Let's just pray. How often have you guys, at the moment's notice of trouble, Start figuring out, how can I solve this? How can I fix this? How can I do something to make it better? 
without first going to God. We all have done that, haven't we? Stop and pray first. Amen? Pray first. So in his discouragement, in his confusion, in his dismay, Isaac prayed. So I want you guys to listen to me here for a sec. Isaac was praying according to the will of God. According to the will of God because that's what we're commanded to do in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Isaac knew that it was God's will for him because God's covenant promise rested on this. Isaac knew that God was the one who blessed his parents because with his birth, even in their old past childbearing age. Isaac also knew that God was the one who held his life in his hands. And so Isaac, just trusting, God, you are God. You've been with my family. You've been, through, you've been with me through the thick and thin. I'm just going to pray and trust you. Now, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure Isaac, he didn't wait 20 years before he started praying. Okay? And then the moment he prayed, presto, his wife was pregnant. No. I suspect he had been praying 20 long years. He had been praying Year after year after year for 20 years. And with each passing year, with each childless year, his prayers just intensified. And so in God's time, he answered and Rebecca became pregnant. You know, we give up don't, so easily, don't we? After a couple of weeks, we're like, oh, it is not the Lord's will. Don't we do that? They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they, they just sought after God in humility, saying, God, hear me. I want to hear your voice. I don't want to hear anyone else but yours. First year, second year, 15 years to 20 years, and we stop after one day of fasting. We stop after one day of prayer. We stop after one week of prayer saying, you know what, I'll choose door B. Okay, so we have this misconception about prayer. We think it's magical. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not magical. And so when we pray these magical string of words, we pray like it's some sort of grocery list. God, I want this. I need that. This would be good for me. That would be nice. Oh, I wouldn't care much for that. I'll take this and I'll take that. And so our assumption is that when we pray, we are directing God somehow to answer our prayer because we really, really want it. That's how we pray. We are directing God. We are orchestrating God. You've heard that saying before, right? The power of prayer. So when we say that here, that we get the impression that there's some force Within our own words, it's sourced in ourselves, and through and by our words, we can make or break reality. It's the whole name it, claim it group movement that likes to employ this unbiblical method. If you just say it, it will be. No. Prayer is not some commanding the spirit or summoning the spirit like he's some cosmic butler. He's not. That he's some sort of servant of ours to come do our bidding. That's what a lot of prosperity preachers will say, that we can use and we can lasso the Holy Spirit and put him into submission. Think about how just wrong that is. How wrong that sounds. God does not need you to let him do anything. He isn't restrained or controlled by you. Friends, we ought to be controlled by him. Right? We ought to be controlled by him. 
So when Isaac prayed, it wasn't to manipulate God's actions. Sure, he prayed, and he prayed with concerns. Yes, when he prayed, he voiced his hardships and said, Lord, my situation is difficult. It stinks. Yes, when he prayed, he, he, he expressed his struggles. And you know what? That's okay because prayer should be raw. Prayer should be real. You should tell God how you feel. You should should tell God about the circumstances. It should be like you communicating and talking to your father. But his prayers were done with faith because more than the answer that he wanted with each passing day of childlessness, it just provided another occasion for prayer for him to draw closer to his God. Every single day was an opportunity, not just to get an answer, but an opportunity for something better than the answer, an opportunity to get closer to the answer, God. What do you want? You want a quick little fix for the problem that you have in your life, or do you want more of God? That's what prayer does. So why do we pray? Remember, prayer isn't the power. Prayer is to express that we have no power. Does that make sense? Prayer is to express that we have no power, that we're powerless to express our helplessness. But through prayer, we remind ourselves of something greater than our circumstances of which we're praying for. We're praying to realign ourselves to the great God who is sovereignly in control over all our circumstances. And so when we pray, we need to be prepared to receive a yes or a no or a not yet. But in prayer, there should always be a but. It's like this, God, you know my needs. You know my wants. My prayer is for my children. It is for my job, my finances. I trust that you will provide because you are God who provides. Remember Jehovah Jireh. We've been talking about that for the past couple weeks. And you're my heavenly father and I'm your child. But even if I don't get what I need at the time I want it, help me to trust in you. Help me to Find my identity in you, not in anything else. Help me to just surrender everything to you, even when it seems like nothing is happening in my life. Even though, Lord, help me to give to you, even when I feel like there's nothing in my life left to give to you. Help me to love the people around me, even when I feel like, God, I'm being so drained. I mean, listen to Psalm 28. The psalmist says, To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent... I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call for you for help, as I lift my hands toward your most holy place. Do you hear the worship in that prayer of anguish? It's like, this is my life. It is difficult, but God, I lift my hands in worship to your most holy place because my circumstances should not determine your worship because you are still worthy of worship. I could have the worst time, but that does not change that you are still God. Do you hear the trust in the psalmist as he he cries out to him despite the circumstances? We pray because we're helpless, and we pray because our Heavenly Father cares for you. He cares for you. So cast all your burdens upon him, just as Apostle Peter so simply reminds us. Cast your burdens upon him. Amen? You know, the entire book of Genesis emphasizes the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of his delays. Sarah and Abraham had to wait 25 years before Isaac was born. 
Isaac and Rebekah had to wait 20 years for their children to be born. Jacob had to labor for 14 years before he got his two wives. Joseph had to wait 20 years before he was reconciled to his brothers and to his father. Our times are in God's hands and his timing is never wrong. It's never wrong. Maybe today you're waiting for something to happen in your life. I'm just waiting When will it happen? Perhaps you want to have a baby. Maybe you want to get another job or to have your prayer answered, whatever it might be. But you've come to a dead end. And maybe you're asking, why? God, why aren't you answering me? And while it may seem bleak right now, know that it's oftentimes during those bleak times that God is saying, just wait a little longer. Just wait a little longer and you'll see all that I have done. You know, unanswered prayers often God's way of getting our attention. You know that? It seems that when we don't quite get what we want, we become a little bit more vulnerable. When we don't quickly get what we want, we become a little bit more teachable. Whereas if we get everything we want, we become less teachable and a little bit more prideful. I pray that your prayers today will be formed in the promises of God's word. Amen? Not just about this is how I feel, this is what should be done, this is what I expect. It's God, help me draw closer to you. As I pray, God, help me to rest not in the things of the world, but the things of your word. Amen. My last point is that we need to rest in God's sovereign plan. Everyone say sovereign plan. Now these days, I feel like it seems that Christianity is often reduced down to warm sentiments that make you feel good. Right? I remember visiting Lifeway Bookstore located in Springfield, Virginia, not too long ago, and um, When I went there, there was a little plaque, and it reads, When life knocks you down on your knees, you are in perfect position to pray. You're like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah, I could pray. And it was right next to a ceramic statue of the willow tree of promise, whatever that is. Okay. So, yeah, it's cute. I wonder if that's what Rebecca was praying for. Lord, can you bring me a willow tree of promise? Right? Or some sign that everything will work out all right. Well, God, he actually said, yeah, I'll give you more than that. Because according to verse 23, God, he spelled out his sovereign plan, which ultimately was an answer to her prayer. Hear me out. <clears throat> Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So let's think about what God just said to her. First is this, that there will be two nations in her womb. Okay, so rule out this whole two happy brothers coming from the same loving family's business. No, that's not going to happen. God is telling her that there's division represented in the struggle, that two mighty nations are at at odds with one another, but these two nations, they will not be equal. They won't be equal. One will be stronger and rule the other, and that's exactly what happened because Esau's descendants, they ended up becoming the land of Edom, and then then Jacob's descendants became the land of Israel. There was no love. There was no love between them. They hated each other. They resisted. They fought for centuries. And by the time of King David's rule, what happened? Israel took over Edom. But secondly, God told Rebekah that he had chosen the younger to rule over the older. Can you imagine that? The younger to rule over the older. So this would be a crazy reversal of the normal practices going on in those days, and I'd say even today too. 
Take, for instance, yesterday. My younger brother, Danny, came by our house. Last night, Ada was sitting at the table eating some post-dinner snacks. And Danny was staying next to her, and I was staying next to Danny. And then I suddenly began punching him. I don't know what, over what, but I started hitting him. I started slapping his back, started jabbing his side, you know, to assert my dominance. After a few seconds of Danny, you know, crying and kind of whining and screaming a little bit, he said, you're so lucky that Ada's here because I would, and I said, what? He said, nothing. So the natural order of things is I, as the older brother, would have the right to assert my dominance. It's normal practice. I can hit him. It's my right. Okay? If he has stuff, I can take it. It's my right. It's my birthright. But here, God declares that he has chosen the lesser son, Danny, the lesser one, okay, to inherit all the promises And he has rejected the older son. These are fighting words. You can bet there was a struggle. And so with all this information, how was this answer from God supposed to be an encouragement to a frightened wife, Rebecca, who felt the two babies already in her womb wrestling in utero? Why choose the younger one, huh? I mean, this passage has stirred up so much controversy about the way God chooses whom he saves. But how is this an encouragement to Rebecca and to us? Here it is. Listen to me, folks. It's an encouragement because it makes it crystal clear that God's plan is all about his grace. All about his grace. There's a saying in the world where might makes right. Strong survival of the fittest. That's your, that your life, your salvation, your eternity is all about your best intentions, your ability to keep your head above water, more so, those, more so than those around you, is by your own efforts, is by your own merits, and all that will determine if you are, in fact, savable. As it was in those days, the older one should get it all. That's how it should have been. The older one should get the blessing, not the younger one. The stronger one should get the inheritance, not the weaker one. You see, but see, that from this answer to Rebecca's prayer, God made it clear straight from the start that there is no favoritism with him. No favoritism. There's no such thing as a privileged position. You see, even being born of Abraham was not enough. Even being born of Isaac was not enough. Even being the oldest was not enough. God will have mercy on whom he has mercy, and he will harden the hearts of those of whom he will harden. Our salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God's choosing, with God's grace. All the things that seem to make sense in your life can be easily upturned because God, he chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And like in the story, he chooses the unfavored younger son to show that it was all about grace from start to finish. It does not make any sense that the younger one would get blessed. Why did God close the wombs of Sarah, Rebecca, and later on we'll see Rachel? The answer is this. 
so that the chosen family would recognize that their children are the fruit of his grace rather than simply the fruit of nature or their effort. Do you get that? That it was so biologically and physically impossible for them to have children. God is the one who opened their wombs and made it supernatural so that no one could boast. So that it would be obvious and evident that it was all by God's power, by his grace. Folks, this should give us hope. Because in our pain, in our misery, in our brokenness, Jesus, he extends to us this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you see, if God's plan is not all of, about grace, then, it's simple, then it doesn't apply to those who are really helpless like you and me. The minute God's plan requires some sort of merit on our part, no matter how small it might be, then it closes the door to, most, to, to everyone, to the most needy. But Jesus' invitation is just the opposite because what Jesus does is that he bypasses those who thought they had a lot to offer God. He bypasses those who thought they deserved to be saved because of something that they were born with or something that they were gifted with or something that they earned or accomplished in their lives. So you see, God bypassed people who somehow thought that the work that they've done owed, that somehow God owed them salvation, that God owed them blessing, that God owed them a comfortable, easier life. So who did they, who did God save then? Who is God reaching out to then? The prideful, the ones who are saying, I got it. I don't need anyone else. I don't need you. I can make my own path. I can do my own life. Or the ones who knew that they had nothing to offer. Nothing good to offer. You see, God, he sought out sinners who had nothing but sin. Nothing but brokenness. These sinners who relied on not in themselves, not in anyone else, but simply and purely by God's grace. Those are the people that God comes to save to this day. The ones who surrender and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Now, we may not know exactly why things happen the way they do. And maybe on this side of glory, we won't get any neatly answered package or packaged answer to these questions. But what we know is that God's way will sometimes appear confusing. But if we're discouraged, we're commanded to pray like Isaac and Rebecca. To pray, and in that prayer, what will happen is that you'll grow in your trust in the greatness of God far more than fearing in the greatness of our circumstances. Does that make sense? Even when it's still difficult to understand, to fathom, we're called to rest in his sovereignty because it'll be there that we find so much undeserved grace for sinners like you and me. For people like us who are never first in this world, God in his infinite love and grace says, you who are last shall be first. You who are broken shall be healed. You who are empty shall be filled. You who are separated shall be restored, and you who are condemned shall be saved. It has nothing to do with us, 
but everything to do with his pure grace. That's why he, is alone, he alone is worthy of worship. Praise our God of grace and mercy, for there is no one like him. Amen? Let's pray. What more can be said? I want to encourage you guys to take a moment. Take a moment and meditate on what you just heard and then take another moment after that to pray what you've, what you, the word that has been stirring in your heart from the beginning of the sermon. Are you still trying to do things on your own? Are you still trying to work out your life on your own? Do you still believe in any way that you are somehow, you made yourself savable or more appealing to God. You see, God, he bypasses those who say, I've got it figured out or I can do it. He looks after and he seeks after those who have completely surrendered their entire lives and who want to be completely restored back to him. You can't give God 99%. It is 100%. And if you're not there, pray and say, God, give me the faith to surrender. Even when it doesn't seem like it makes any sense, even right now when it seems confusing. Give me the faith to surrender. That you are in control of my life. And it is your pure grace that leads me today and every day after that. What else can I give you, God? I can offer you nothing. What has God given you? He has given you everything. Let's take a moment and pray and reflect.